Hello and welcome to Lost in Citations, the podcast where we talk with educators, professors, and researchers from around the world and discuss their academic works. Today I am here with Paul Rain, and he is a professor at J.F. Oberlin University in Tokyo, Japan, and he wrote a paper called Developing Web-Based English Learning Applications, Principles, and Practice. Hello, Paul. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Todd. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. So It's great to be here. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, for the listeners, can you talk a little bit about yourself, your, your background, and what you do? For sure, yeah. Um, well, I came to Japan in 2006, and uh, I graduated university for the second time. And uh, I wanted to get some international experience before going back to the UK. Uh, so I came with a kind of a conversation school. Uh, conversation school called Shane Eikaiwa um, and then I kind of transitioned into university teaching around about 2008 and I did my, did my master's degree uh, around about 2012 and since that time I've been teaching in universities in, in Japan. And you are uh, quite well known in Japan for your work in developing apps and computer applications and websites yeah, I, 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 I hope so. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's getting that way. Um, I've been doing this for a while. I probably started off with the app development uh, around the time I finished my master's degree. So probably around about 2012, 2013. Uh, I started with a few kind of scripts and things and basic uh, programs and then it's kind of uh, developed from there. And did you learn to, to program on yourself? Did you have a background in programming? How did this come about? Um, I don't have any formal education in programming, but I've kind of been interested in it since I was a teenager. I, when I was 16, I developed some software for uh, one, of, one of the uh, computer systems that was, wasn't very well known. It was a computer system called Acorn, Acorn Computers. They're actually a UK-based company. Um, all, all that remains of Acorn now is the ARM chip, which is in every single mobile device. So ARM did pretty well. <laughs> Yeah, right. But the desktop, the desktop um, company kind of went, went away, you know? Yeah. So actually in your paper, you talk a little bit about programming languages. Mm -hmm. um, what are the, the most common programming languages that are used to develop apps and which ones do you specialize in? Yeah. So um, I think at the moment it's uh, on, you, you, there's, there's two distinctions you need to make. You need to make a distinction between a client side and the server side. So the client side is anything that runs inside the browser. So browsers include, you know, like Chrome, Firefox, Safari, et cetera. That's all referred to as client side. And then the server side is the system that actually serves the page to the user. Um, and that can be a lot more, there can generally be a lot more complex applications on the server side because there's more memory and there's more RAM and there's more uh, flexibility in, in terms of what you can install. Uh, but the client side is becoming more powerful, more and more powerful. Um, and you can basically create native type, native like apps now um, within the browser. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so what, what languages do you use to create this? So on the, on the server side, you, you, you use languages such as, I use a language called PHP. Um, but you can use languages such as Ruby on Rails. I've, I've never learned it myself, but it's, it's quite a popular language. Or you can use Python. And on the client side, it's generally always um, JavaScript. And there's lots of different libraries that actually use JavaScript in different ways. So you might, you might have heard of like React or um, Angular. Uh, I use actually a framework called Vue, V-U-E, 
which is mm -hmm. a pretty relatively new. I think it's been around for about two or three years, developed by a Chinese guy. And um, it's quite popular now. It's getting more and more, more and more popular. Oh, that's interesting. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. So uh, back to the, the, the languages on the, on the data side, mm -hmm. on the server side. So um, you said you learned PHP. Yep. And basically with the script, you can make the websites interactive. Yeah, PHP. Yeah, basically PHP allows you to um, dynamically generate code. So say, for instance, you wanted to have the, you know, hello world displayed 20 times in a row, you could type it out 20 times, or you could just do a loop in PHP. And it would be like, you know, for I equals zero, I is less than 20, I plus plus, echo, hello world. Uh -huh. And that would, that would do it, you know. And that's the kind of most basic program that you can make. Um, but obviously, it's the language, you can do very, very complex things with it. Now, for people that aren't familiar with developing websites and, mm -hmm. and computer languages, what, what exactly is a programming language? Um, it's a good question. <laughs> I think this is where having a computer science degree would come in handy, which I don't have. But my understanding is that what I do is more like scripting. I mean, whether PHP is actually a programming language or not is, is an interesting question. I think some people would say that if it's not compiled, it's not a proper programming language. So like a language like C or C++, uh, a language that's used to say, for instance, create native apps for the iPhone, that's compiled down into machine code. Um, that's to me is like a proper programming language, whereas PHP and JavaScript are more kind of like scripting languages. Right. So I, I would kind of draw that distinction a little bit, but it, the, 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 the distinction is becoming blurred because nowadays you can actually compile or kind of a transpile or transcode um, JavaScript as well. Mm -hmm. So you write it in one language and it, it, it converts it to another language that's more, more optimized for web delivery. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I started making websites uh, way back when uh, in the early 2000s. And back mm -hmm. then it was a lot more complex than it is today. So this is now we have HTML5, mm -hmm. which is a, technically it's not a computer language. So what, what, how would you define HTML5 and CSS? CSS is uh, stands for cascading style sheets. And that's basically to do with anything, that's, anything that, uh, to do with styling your, your design of the page. So whether a font is bold or not, um, you know, what color should be shown in the background of a certain section of the page, what image should be displayed. It doesn't really deal with logic. So you want to say handle a user click, that wouldn't be done in, in CSS, that would be done in JavaScript. But if you wanted like a little effect to show when, when something was clicked, that would be done in CSS. And HTML5 and CSS are probably the two easiest things for people to learn mm -hmm. right off the yeah. bat, right? If they want to make just a basic website and, and use it yeah. on their computer. For sure, for sure. And also there's lots of um, uh, systems out there that can actually, you know, do all the hard stuff for you and, and, and you just kind of have a drag and drop interface. There's a site called uh, Weebly, I think is a quite popular one. And I've just recently started using a, a service called uh, Webflow which is a very, very advanced and comprehensive system for, you know, drag and drop um, website creation. Oh, that's a, that's a site I've never heard of. What's it called again? Uh, Webflow. Webflow. And it's like Weebly or Wix? Uh, I think it's a little bit more advanced. It, you know, it has like, it's the whole kitchen sink, you know? Like <laughs> right. you, can, you, can, you can change every single uh, facet of every single um, element on the page. Whereas Weebly and, and uh, the other one you mentioned, what was that one, sorry? Uh, Wix, I think Wix and uh, Wix. Weebly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they're more for people who want to get something up and running within, say, you know, half an hour or an hour. 
yeah. of course, there's also WordPress, which is the, one of the most common frameworks on the web. I think like more than half of websites are made with WordPress these days. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I teach uh, my students and some teachers how to make basic websites. And, mm -hmm. you know, I tell them, you know, you start with HTML. Uh, and these days, it's so easy to learn. There's a website called W3 Schools. Mm -hmm. You actually mention it in your in your paper, in your yeah. article. Um, and, you you know, once you learn the basic HTML, it's, it's like punctuation for the web, basically. And then yeah. you can use it in Blogger or in a, in a service like MailChimp if you're sending out emails. Um, so we have these tools now, HTML mm -hmm. and CSS that are very easy to learn. And then you can go a bit higher up, learn JavaScript. Like you said, you can create interactivity. Then you can go full on and learn a language like PHP or Ruby on Rails, yeah. Python, things like that. So if you are a teacher and you want to develop websites, what do you recommend? Should you just not learn the basics and just start making something on WordPress? Do you think it's like, what tools do you think are useful for a teacher with no computer skills hmm. or you know development skills to learn how long would it take to learn them and why should they learn them or why should they not learn them um i think it depends on what your what your goal is if you're just simply wanting to distribute say your curriculum online i think one of the sites we've mentioned would be would be quite good for that so for instance um Weebly or one of the sites that you use, what's it called? A uh, instructable or something is it called? Or teacher? Oh yeah, well, actually the one I do is I use Blogger. I think Blogger, Blogger is by okay. far the easiest. Yeah. yeah. Or Teachable was it? Was it called Teachable? Oh yeah, Teachable. Yeah, Teachable is yeah. a little bit different. It's, it's just okay. it just posts videos actually. Oh okay okay. Yeah. I mean, there's a few sites out there that, that are actually designed for teachers to distribute, you know, their their lesson content. I think it depends on what your goals are. Like I said, like if you if you have a, a unique idea that isn't really already out there. Or if it, even if it is out there and you, and you want to find out how to do it yourself, maybe you can do it better, or maybe you can you know do it in a certain way that no one no one's done it yet. So for me, it was like, what can I do for English language learners? Uh, one of my first applications was um, based on this book called Ship, Ship or Sheep, which is a book on minimal pairs. And you know, would your listeners know what minimal pairs are? Uh, yeah, they would. Um, yeah, in this podcast, yes. Yeah. Okay. So, so ship and sheep is a minimal pair because there's only like one one phoneme different different between them, and language mm -hmm. learners find it quite hard to distinguish between minimal pairs. So I was like, well, I can create an application that allows them to practice uh, listening to minimal pairs, and I called it Pirate or Pilot. Oh, and, nice. Uh, it yeah. plays it plays the two sound files, you know, and then it and then the student has to click which one they heard. And yeah, yeah, it's been very popular kind of little application, really. Very simple idea, but very uh, useful, I think. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Mm -hmm. You know, in your article, you mentioned uh, Flash, Adobe Flash. Yep. And the death of Flash, that's what the paragraph is titled, yep. and the rise of JavaScript. And I actually have my own personal experience with that. So my website was built on Flash. And, mm -hmm. you know, I really was sad when when Flash died, basically, because... It was the ultimate tool and then we haven't replaced it yet i mean uh -huh. the thing about flash is you could make one file just one file that would have audio interactivity uh really nice uh graphics and it could be mm -hmm. very lightweight and you could just drag it over a browser and it would render it would play and it was just wonderful mm -hmm. now it's gone um we don't have that anymore do you see any tools coming down the pipe that maybe can replace flash where you can create and render something like that in just one file uh not in one file these days you, you kind of have to have a manifest of files so you have your images your sounds 
you know, all your, your CSS, your HTML, your JavaScript, all, all separate. But the user wouldn't know that. I, I mean, it wouldn't it wouldn't matter to the user whether it was separate or, or together. The developer maybe it, it, it affects a little bit, but um, yeah, the framework I use, which is called Vue or even Angular or React, um, you know, they all uh, kind of compile the source code into one folder, you mm-hmm. know, uh, so that it, it's kind of optimized for the browser. I think that I never really use Flash much myself. Um, I know there's probably some advantages to it that you mentioned, but there are also some drawbacks. For example, it wasn't very responsive to mobile and it was very memory hungry and it used, and it used to be prone to, prone to bugs as well. Yeah. So I think the reason that Apple killed it, I mean, Apple refused to support it on the iPhone was because of the bugs and memory leaks. And of course, they wanted to control the App Store and have complete end-to-end control over what, what apps could be used on their devices. Yeah. So that's another massive reason why they, why they did that, you know? Um, yeah, there were security issues as well. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, the thing that was nice about Flash, though, for a teacher is that it, it could just do everything. You know, like it had a very nice interface where you can design, you had the meta file um, or the authoring file, I'm sorry, and you can create something and then just export it. And it it just looked really nice from somebody that wasn't, you know, super skilled in in programming. uh, It was nice to make simple activities, animations, things like that, but gone. And, um, you know, uh, there are so many other tools and basically a lot of the tools now though are, SaaS, so that's software as a service. Yeah. For example, um, I use a service called Beyond, and mm-hmm. I can make animations really quickly. Mm-hmm. And so these days, it's just so easy to create something mm-hmm. online, and then they're going to host it for you. They'll do everything for you. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's just it's a different environment. Um, can yeah. you talk a little bit about like how the the rise of SaaS and how it's kind of changing education? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, the, the, before I do that, there's a couple of other other applications. Well, that I use that are quite similar. There's one called Game Salad. Uh, uh-huh. You can you can download it through your Mac, and that allows you to create a game, much like a kind of flash game. It could be a platformer game. It could be like a you know a, a tile, a chess chessboard type game, and that will allow you to compile your game down and, and release it on various uh, platforms. And also, there is another one called um, Phaser with a PH. Uh, phaser.js and that also is like a library for creating games so if it's games that you want to want to create and i think flash was often used for kind of quite graphically you know intensive games there are a bunch of things out there that will do it in html now yeah i'll have to check those out so that's game salad game salad as as one word yeah and phaser and then phaser with a ph yeah Oh, that's nice. Yeah. And that, of course, there's still the good old hot potatoes is still out there yeah. from hot the potatoes. university. Yeah. It's still out there. I still use it with yeah. my students. And right. for the listeners that don't know, hot potatoes is a simple tool that creates mm-hmm. HTML pages. And yeah. you can do crossword puzzles and gap fills. And it's, it's a lot of fun. I yeah. love the crossword yeah. puzzle. So I'm yeah. glad they still have it. Yeah, these, 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 these things that are actually, uh, you know, they, they stay around for, for many, many years when they're, when they're good, you know. Yeah, exactly. That's a good. That's a good thing. But in terms of software as a service, I mean, the thing you mentioned about, um, I used to use GoAnimate, which now is uh, Beyond, isn't it? Yes. Um, what else is there out there? Um, I have to bring up a list. Actually, uh, I haven't got in front of me. <laughs> well, actually, technically, what you you know your site is yeah. is software as a service, and so yeah. basically, yeah. how it works is you pay for the subscription, or you just yeah. sign up for an account, and then you can create things online, and they're hosted online. 
and then you use them online. So exactly. basically your, your, um, your main site is called uh, teachertools.digital. Yep. That's right. Yep. Yeah. And what are some things we can do or our users can do uh, at your site? Okay. So we, at the moment we have uh, eight assignment types. Uh, we have an audio recording assignment type. We have a video recording assignment type. We have, um, we have, a, we have a video gap fill. So what you can do is you can go to YouTube and you can choose a video and it pretty much works with any video now. And then you just click on the, you copy the link and you paste it into the uh, Teacher Tools uh, creation panel. And it, it will pull in the video and it will also pull in the subtitles. And then it will allow you to click on the words to remove them. And then, you know, once, once you save it, uh, you give it to students as a link and then uh, it removes the words and they can do a listening gap fill. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So it opens up a really, really wide range of content for the teacher. I mean, there's pretty much whatever you can think of that you're doing in your lesson, that there's going to be something on YouTube which relates to that. Now, you know, there's so much content on YouTube. Yeah, um, I know. Endless, endless. Yeah. And actually, I have to be careful here because I don't want to cross the journalistic line. I have to be yeah. objective, but I've used your site and <laughs> you. it's some of it's just amazing. And the one thing that I think is a game changer is the audio submission. Uh -huh. So the students can go online they can have a prompt. You can create a prompt. Then you just send the students the link. They record their message. Then they could hear their message back again. So mm -hmm. if they don't like it, they can just keep recording. So for example, you could ask the students to um, talk about somebody who they admire and mm -hmm. they have to talk within two minutes. They make their recording. Then you could also have them listen to the recording and then type, transcribe it. So they submit the text as well. Mm -hmm. send it to the teacher and then I get it. And then once I get it, I have the option to send a recording back to them and then they can hear what I had to say. I think the whole process is quite revolutionary. And, and what was really shocking was how good the audio quality was mm -hmm. on those recordings. Like the students, it was really high quality. Yeah. And, this, and you. oh, you're doing an amazing job there. Um, I think this is going to change a lot of how we do activities. Can you talk a little bit about how your, these interactive audio activities that you create might replace traditional things that we've done in the past? Mm, for sure. Yeah. I mean, the, the, there's two situations really that I think there's, there's pre COVID and post COVID, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and the teaching world changed massively because anyone who was kind of on the fence about using technology in the classroom, you know, literally have no choice. They were, they were dragged kicking and screaming and, you know, into the tech, uh, tech powered teaching. Um, whether or not we'll go back to, you know, um, chalk and talk and, and everything paper-based after COVID, you know, after we have a vaccine, um, I don't know. Um, I hope not because I think there's lots of advantages to tech-based tools. I mean, not all the time, but certainly a lot of the time, you know, they, they make our lives much easier. So with yeah. the audio recording, for example, you know, I, I always explain it as if um, with writing, the actual writing is the task and also the result of the task. I mean, the writing wouldn't exist without the actual evidence that the writing's taken place, right? But with speaking, you know, the, the, the evidence of the task is, is, not, is not connected to the actual task. So you could, you could tell students to go away and have a conversation and, and you'd, have no, you'd have no evidence that it ever took place. Um, yeah. But if you're using audio recording, you know, you can say, well, have a conversation, practice three or four times and then record it and submit it to me, you know, and then you have a record of it actually being done. So that I think is a, is a big game changer. And you can get students to do it on their own devices. So there's like BYOD, bring your own device. 
Mm -hmm. So um, even if your even if your school does not have institutional devices, um, you know, I think there was a survey done about ninety five percent of students in in Japan have have a smartphone now. I think in the U.S. it's probably you know similar or higher than that. Um, so there's no excuse. I mean, these these devices shouldn't be only for playing you know games and using Line and you know Facebook. They should be. Yeah. They should have an educational application, and, and I think that's that's you know what I'm trying to do really. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's great. You know, I was just talking with a colleague today about mm-hmm. how an activity that I like to do because we have these devices mm-hmm. where I'll have the students storyboard a very simple story, you know, it's six scenes on one paper mm-hmm. and then they'll have to narrate it. And then they'll send me a picture of the storyboard and I'll hear them say it. And then I'll just reiterate the same story. Mm-hmm. And then they have to hear me say it and they're going to hear corrections. So I'm not, they, I never have to say, oh, you said this wrong, or you should have said this. They actually just get to hear me retell the story. Mm-hmm. Then they hear my version. Then they have to send the third version back to me. And it's amazing how much the students improve mm-hmm. that, you know, they, they do listen to their first one and then they do hear me say it. And then they actually improve when they send the, the revision. And what I like about that activity is where we're moving is there's no writing mm-hmm. never. And that was, a, was, was there grading? Was there writing? Was me getting out my red pencil or saying, you should have said this, you should have said that. It's just a basically like a yo-yo tag back and forth. And we're all, so there's three versions of the same story, two of them by them and one of them by me. And, you know, to me, that's an example of how we can use technology these days. There's just so many options that we didn't have just like 10 years ago. For sure. For sure. Yeah, and it makes things like drafting a lot easier because if you're drafting, you know, uh, with pen and paper, that's a very, that's a very tedious process. Right. And, uh, if you're drafting on a computer, and I think you know, I, it's it's taken a long time for Japan to catch up. I mean, for a long, my my, my students, I, I taught university for ten years, and you know, the, a lot of students would not have a computer for for educational use. They, you know, they they just wouldn't have one, or a ta- or a tablet for that matter. You know. And I think that's just a given in, in the UK and in the US. It's just a given that if you're at university, you have a computer. You know? Right. Um, but in Japan, that's not the case. I, I think it is changing, but it's not changing very quickly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but once you have a, a computer, a Chromebook or a tablet or something, and a Chromebook was only cost you like, say, $200 or $300, you know, and it's going to last you the whole, the whole course of your, um, your, your degree. Uh, and I think that it just opens up such a wide range of activities that, you, you know, it just, you can't, you can't live without one, really, in no. my opinion, in my opinion, but that's not the case. I mean, teachers that I work with disagree with that statement, you know, so. Well, how, how do they disagree? What do they think? Um, they're just, you know, they're very traditional, they prefer paper-based activities, you know, they're kind of a little bit stuck in their ways, they've been doing things the same way for the past 20 years, you know, they don't want to change now and but like I say, I mean, COVID has made it so people really don't have a choice. They have to do stuff online. So, you know, uh, maybe that's changing them a little bit. Yeah. It's slowly, though. I mean, we both have similar yeah. backgrounds and then we do a lot of um, teacher training mm-hmm. and, you know, tech tutorials. And it's, you know, the, the, the idiom, uh, you know, fits where it's you can mm-hmm. lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Yeah. And yeah. there is still a lot of resistance. And I really it's it just amazes me because. It's like if you went to somebody's house and you mm-hmm. said, oh, by the way, if you don't want to ride the bicycle to the store or walk to the store, there's a Ferrari right outside mm-hmm. with keys in it. And you yeah. can use the Ferrari or just a car for that matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're like, no, 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 I want to, I want to ride the bike. Yeah. 
And it's, it's, yeah, it's a little bit frustrating, you know, yeah. like for you, it's like you have, for example, you have this amazing site and, you know, getting teachers to use it, the onboarding process seems to be the hardest thing, right. you know, right. um, just getting the message out there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, you know, the problems with onboarding uh, yeah. teachers? Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, I mean, for teachers, uh, we basically went for Google or Microsoft sign-in because we thought most teachers would already have a Google or Microsoft account. Um, and then uh, we've been we've been publicizing through Facebook. I've been doing uh, conference presentations on it. But I, I do tend to find that people say, oh, you, you can't self-promote. You know, you can't self-promote in this Facebook group. You can't have a commercial presentation in this conference. So immediately you run up against uh, um, kind of barriers to once you have a project like this that's that's kind of paid for, you know. So, yeah. Uh, when I was doing this for free, like I, I actually did this for free for about five, five years, more than five years, with another site that I have called Apps for EFL. Uh, forward number four, Apps for EFL, and uh, that's free now. You know, anyone can log in and use it. Um, but uh, even then, it was hard to get people, you know, interested. In it. Right. Even though I, I did build up a fan base eventually, um, you know, there's just so much competition out there, and unless you're constantly in people's faces about something you know that they, they, it's kind of drops off the radar yeah you know so yeah um, in that sense uh, marketing is quite difficult you need to have a, uh, quite a big budget to really get out there to the masses you know yeah and actually once you start getting into web development and you yeah. you know you know i create websites too and mm-hmm. once you want to promote it you do realize the best thing that you can get is word of mouth you know mm-hmm. even the yeah. biggest companies yeah. uh, facebook dropbox it doesn't matter uh, Gmail, uh, it doesn't matter, you know, how big the tech tool is, yeah. you probably first heard about it, word of mouth, actually, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. and it, it wasn't straight from the, the the person saying, hey, go try my product. It was somebody else saying, I use it, it works, I really mm-hmm. like it. And so I guess that's it. Like, we just need word of mouth. Yeah. Getting, getting people like you on our side is, is, a, is a massive help, by the way. Yeah. And uh, we also have another guy as well called Russell Scanard, who has a very good YouTube channel. I recommend it to anyone who wants to check it out. He, he does lots of reviews of different EdTech products and stuff. So, and he's, he's, he's reviewed us twice now. So that's, that's quite useful. Yeah, that's very helpful. And, and what's the name of the YouTube channel? Uh, he's called Russell Scanard, uh, S-T-A-N-N-A-R-D. And his YouTube channel is called Teacher Training Videos. Okay. Yeah, right. he's a British. Uh, he's based out of the UK, and he's, he's he won like an Elton Award a few years ago for doing like uh, screencasting uh, in education, the the use of screencasting in in education. Yeah. So, but yeah. now he now he reviews lot, lots of different applications like you know Moodle and uh, you know Quizlet and uh, and Teacher Tools as well. So yeah. Yeah, actually, so one one of the things on your site is you have a lot of. Um... Uh, text to speech and speech to text. Yep. So first of all, can we talk a little bit about um, text to speech, which is basically you type it in and the computer can uh, narrate it or they can say it. Yeah. And you can choose different accents. You can choose different genders. Correct. Yeah. Actually, I can probably give a quick demo. Over here. But uh, yeah, I, I can just explain it. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, text-to-speech has come on a long way. I mean, people probably have a preconceived notion about maybe like the Stephen Hawking kind of voice, you know, like very robotic sounding, very unnatural. Uh, but in the past 10, 10 years, uh, particularly in the past 10 years, it's, it's, it's come on with leaps and bounds. And companies like Google, Microsoft, and uh, Amazon are using, you know, neural networks to really 
uh, improve the quality of the voices. So, um, so it's yeah, that, becoming pretty much indistinguishable from uh, from human voice. I actually did a, a Facebook survey a while back, and I had like four I had like four um, text to speech voices and one human voice, and a lot of people, you know, couldn't tell the difference in in the survey. Oh um, wow! But a few of them did manage to, and, and the reason they did is because that they recognised the voice from their CDs. <laughs> mm, right. So I should have chose a, chosen a less recognisable voice. <laughs> yeah, I made an animation in Beyond recently, yeah. and I played it, and uh, I was shocked because the person who was listening was a teacher, uh-huh. and they uh-huh. said, "Oh, where did you get the the people to record the voice?" Yeah. And I was like, "You didn't recognise that that was that was computer generated?" And uh-huh. the person said, "No." And I was like, wow, because the yeah. thing is, if you do, um, you know, teacher talk where we yeah. over enunciate things and you mm-hmm. speak slowly, yeah. there's really not that much difference, you know, right, between exactly. computer generated. Um, it's yeah. this obviously you're not going to have the, li- the the linking, the super segmental, a lot of the liaison is going to be gone. But, mm-hmm. I, you know, I do it a lot myself. And what I find is funny is that it's like fishing. So you, you have to put the, you put the text in or maybe fishing is the wrong word, but like you put the text in and sometimes I just have to keep rephrasing it till the computer can say it natural because the computer can't say any sequence of words naturally. Like you kind of have to massage the words a little bit. You're like, Oh, that word's not, the computer's not doing it right. Or that though, that, that pattern, those four words together, it can't quite hit, but if you, you know, you keep playing with it and then, then you can hit it. It's like, oh, wow, that's right. Like that's, that's exactly how it sounds. And it's amazing how accurate the computer could be, but it's not at the stage yet where you can just put in anything Mm -hmm. and it's going to spit it out perfectly. Like it's a, from a human, you still kind of have to work it a little bit. It's also, it doesn't get, it doesn't get emotion very well. So if you have like a, like a, uh, like a piece of drama or maybe a piece of poetry or something or a short story, uh, you know, it wouldn't do it very well, but it, it does do like newscaster style, you know, uh, speaking very, very, very well. Yeah. Uh, so anything, anything that's kind of, you know, from, from TOEFL exam, anything from the TOEIC exam, you know, the kind of newscaster style. Um, I won't be surprised if there's going to be like textbooks and, and materials coming out with, uh, with speech synthesis rather than voice actors, especially given the price of, uh, of voice acting, I think is a, is, a, is a major price when it comes to producing a textbook. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, and actually, there's a couple of huge advantages from the development side. If you do yeah. the uh, the text to speech, one for me is you're going to have perfect audio capture. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yes, yes, yes. like even right now, we don't have the best audio capture here because we're doing this over Zoom. But when you do the computer, it's just guaranteed. So you can swap in any voice; it's just going to be the same. There's no background noise. There's no nothing's going to go wrong. So what I like to do is insert pauses. And you can't insert pauses very well unless you have perfectly recorded audio because it's going to sound different. You're going to hear the difference in the background noise. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's just one thing that you can do. Um, I love the fact that when you choose the voices, um, there's the list is so long. And Mm -hmm. I actually feel, I feel like I know the personality. I'd be like, oh, that's Lisa from from the UK, I could always rely on that voice. It's right. going to be really good, you know? And I actually, I almost have an avatar in my face of what this person looks like, but it's, it's, mm-hmm. there's no person there. It's just the computer has the different options, yeah. which is kind of funny. I actually found a, a service a while ago called Liar Birds, um, L-Y-R-E, Bird, Liar Birds, uh, uh, that would actually convert your voice into a text-to-speech voice. Uh, it's now called Descript. Uh, if you go to descript.com slash overdub, yeah, um, 
you know, you can sign up for this service and it will actually, you know, convert your voice into a text-to-speech voice. So you actually you record a handful of sentences that contain every phoneme. And then after that, you can type anything in and it will come out in, in your voice, even if you've never said it before, you know. Oh, wow. So that's that's quite cool. <laughs> yeah, that is that is amazing. Yeah. Hey, by the way, just speaking of background noises, did you, is there some background noise in your, from your end now? It's like. Oh, maybe my computer is uh, whizzing a little bit. Or, okay yeah know, if we can is that better or i know it's still there it's like a ringing sound it's it could be that i'm just hearing it more because i have the the headphones on okay um i didn't change anything so yeah it might just be your computer whizzing computer yeah yeah okay Sorry about um that. yeah it's okay well we'll go ahead we'll we'll we'll, we'll soldier on here okay um okay so we've got the text to speech which is pretty amazing uh so how about the other way around speech mm-hmm. to text so yes, yeah, speaks to text. I actually have a, an article on this on my blog as well. If you go to my blog, um, paulsensei.com, uh, you'll find some uh, tech-related articles on there and some of my other research papers. And I had one about uh, how the speech to text uh, actually work. And I, I looked into this quite a bit because I was working with a big uh, speech recognition company here in Japan for a while, and I was kind of, you know, curious as to how it actually worked. You know. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, speech to text. Um, you know, it has to it has to have an audio model and a language model. So it has to know what the sounds of the lang- what the words of the language actually sound like, and it has to know you know what what words are most likely for those sounds. So if you ever experiment with like Google Speech, for example, when you speak, sometimes it actually changes the words as it transcribes them, and that's because mm. certain combinations are less are less likely than other combinations. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, that's the amazing thing because if you do uh, like Google Voice typing is the easiest mm-hmm. one. So if you go to Google and you open up a Google Doc in Drive yeah. and then you just go Tools and then Voice typing, uh, you have to select your accent. Mm-hmm. But then once you actually start type speaking and it's typing on the paper, what I think is amazing is how it gets words that have the same uh, sound but different spellings and it gets the right one. For example, if you tell the computer, um, can you please turn right at the next right and I will write you tomorrow. Mm -hmm. The computer will get all of them right. It'll get the right and the light and the right with W-R-I-T-E based on the context of the other words, which is just phenomenal. Like not only does does the computer recognize your... the the sound of the word, it knows which word you actually are are meaning to say. Because it's going on context. So when you say, you know, I, I will write you tomorrow... Um, it has to be that that version of the right because of the, the surrounding context, right? Right. So yeah, I mean, if, if, sometimes it does get confused. If, if you just said the word right with no context, it wouldn't know whether you meant right, W R I T E or R I G H T. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it does actually depend on it. it, it um, relies on its on context quite a lot. You know, I, with my students, I've really been trying to get them to um, dictate their essays. Uh-huh. And often what I love about the, the uh, speech to text is if I have to model an essay, uh, if I can just say it faster than I can type it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to uh, get caught up with a, a typo or maybe, you know, your hands start hitting the wrong keys and you have to undo things and go back. So for a teacher doing something live and modeling language, it's great um, mm-hmm. because you can just talk and it's there and yeah. the students can see it. And actually, I just saw a presentation the other day. I had no idea that you can do this with PowerPoint presentations, that you can actually just talk as you're doing your PowerPoint 
presentation and it will give the captions in real time as you talk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, Google uh, recently added, added that, didn't they, to their, um, to their uh, slides uh, application as well. Oh, really? So oh, that's fantastic. If, uh, if you're using Google Slides, you can, ha you can have a live captions option. Yeah. Yeah. So we have all these things that are changing. You know, I think one thing that, that teachers worry about, especially the, you know, the Luddites, the ones that are really hesitant about technologies, they fear that our, you know, our teachers going to be out of a job? Like, are we going to be creating robots that are going to take the place of teachers? You can just turn mm -hmm. on your computer, have some animated app uh, as your teacher, and you can talk to it. It'll talk back to you. Um, it can grade your, you know, your speech. Mm -hmm. um, do you see that in the future? Um, yeah, actually, I did a quick presentation on this uh, last year for a job call um, SIG. And uh, yeah, my conclusion was um, probably we're not going to lose our jobs quite yet. <laughs> but um, it, it's, we're going to have um, a, a, a gradual erosion of the kinds of things that teachers are needed for. You know, so I think I gave some examples. Um, let me try and find it here. Um, Okay. Um, I'll just go through some of the final thoughts I had on that presentation uh, about why we might not, you know, be completely replaced. The first one was um, there was a sense of awe when seeing someone perform a talent or skill, whether playing a piano or speaking a foreign language. So think about it. We have actually computers now that can play pianos, you know, better or as well as, you know, professional piano players. Right. Um, but, but professional piano players haven't disappeared. Um, so I, I still think, you know, there's a sense of awe in having a human. We, we look up to humans uh, to, to, as role models and someone that we want to emulate and to be like uh, much more than we do computers. It, we don't really do that with computers. So um, I, think, I think computer translation and machine translation will erode the need to learn a foreign language to some extent. Um, but people who have a real passion for language will still be inspired to learn a language, yeah. I think. And um, another reason was um, learning a new language allows you to gain a new perspective. So yeah, if you're using like a machine translation application that say, say for instance, we, we have this perfect machine translation application that could translate as well as a human translator. Um, you're still not really seeing things from another perspective, you know? Yeah. So like when you learn Japanese, when I, when I learn Japanese, like I learn words like, you know, gambaru or itadakimasu, like concepts that don't really exist in, in English. Uh, you start to see the world in a different light, you know, and that's something that you're not going to be able to do if you're relying on machine translation as well. True. So I, I think, know, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, 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 go ahead. Um, and then there was a, another couple. Uh, language learning is not just for conveying information. It's also for building human relationships. So we have the relationship building aspect of language, you know, there that's not going to be replicated through even the best technology that we have. And uh, oh, we shouldn't underestimate how harmful technology can be to human relationships. So Google released this uh, device called Google Glass about four or five years ago, I think. Yeah. And uh, when they were demoing it, it you know, the term kind of glass glass hole can i say that yeah yeah <laughs> the term glass hole became very very uh, commonplace you know because like the guys wearing the google glass were kind of like acting in a real you know <laughs> not a very nice way like you, you never know whether whether you're being recorded or not you know yeah. so like there are privacy uh, implications that people are going to be very wary about you know if we say say we have a translator that's always switched on um, then it's going to be a privacy, a privacy issue. Right. 
So those are some reasons why I think that um, our jobs aren't going to disappear completely, but I think they'll be, you know, uh, eroded. So like voice actors will, will be replaced with, with um, text to speech um, and, you know, uh, grading exams will, will be replaced with uh, AI exam graders, for example. I think ETS, the, the company that runs TOEFL and TOEIC, uh, already uses uh, AI for, you know, grading its papers. Uh, not completely, but it's uh, augmented AI and human raters. Mm -hmm. So those kinds of things, like if you if you're a, if you're an examiner or you're a voice actor or you are you know a content creator, I think AI is going to also be able to create content, um, like actually write uh, original texts. There's al there's already a company that does that. I think I think they're called um, Articulo, mm -hmm. and um, you basically give it a topic and then it will it will it will write an original text on that topic. Mm -hmm. So if you think about you know the short reading passages that we want our students to actually read uh, to develop fluency, for example, those kind of things could be done by by AI in the near future as well. I think. Yeah, it's it's it could be murky, you know, how things are are going. But on the other hand, I mean, look at the calculator. That's always the point I like to make. Is yeah. <laughs> you know the calculator has been around forever. It didn't put an end to mathematicians, you know. And right, so right, right. Um, also, I think a lot of what we do as language teachers is you you want to, you know, you want to have human interaction. And obviously, mm -hmm. the easiest way to have human interaction is to have a teacher. And also, a teacher can do other things. You know, there's nuance and there's, um, you know, creativity and, you know, like there's a reason why the computer asks you which pictures have a taxi in it because the computer yeah. actually can't do that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. I think you're right. There's going to be some bits that's going to go away. But on the other hand, you know, it could create actually teaching opportunities because then maybe um, not so much in English, but maybe in other languages that, you know, now it's going to be easier to learn other languages and so there'll be more Spanish teachers, there'll be more, you know, French teachers or whatever. And, you, you know, you just, you mm. never know. I think, I think rising, uh, rising, rising nationalism is a, is a bigger threat in some ways than AI, because what's the point in learning a language if you're not interacting with other countries or you think your country is the best country or the only country that, that's worth, you know, thinking about? That, that's, that's quite a big threat to learning languages, I think. Because yeah. one part of learning a language is to, is to understand another culture, to understand another kind of uh, person. And uh, you know, with, with the rising, rising theme of nationalism and, and a kind of re retreat from globalism, uh, that's going to be a threat there as well, I think. Yeah. And also, you know, especially with the COVID, right? I mean, it doesn't help. Yeah, yeah, exactly, if, people exactly. can, if people can't travel, then they're not going to want to learn another language. Yeah. Um, yeah one of the rationales for teaching in Japan is like, you know, we want our students to be global citizens. And I, I never really understood that in the context of Japan because most Japanese people love Japan and they want to live in Japan and they, they don't want to live in another country, you know, yeah. but they, but they're an export based economy. And obviously the power of the U S uh, market is, is, is not going away. You know, the U S buys, you know, all the Japanese cars, Japan hardly buys any U S uh, cars, mm -hmm. you know, so th those kind of business oriented, you know, considerations, I think, are still going to be there as well. So, yeah, that's another, another reason to learn, learn English, I guess. They have to learn it. And, and also to get promoted. I, I saw this presentation uh, at JELT, actually, saying that um, there was a 10% salary deduction if you didn't get a certain TOEIC score. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So Japanese companies incentivize English learning, even if it's completely artificial. Like there's actually, because they were saying, well, 
the presentation was about, you know, this company had English as the official language. Um, mm. And uh, they were saying, well, do you actually use English or is it all just lip service? And, and, and the, the interviewer was like under anonymity an, an said, you know, um, we don't really use English, but we have to learn it. Otherwise we get our salaries, uh, you know, deduct 10% of our salaries. Yeah, that is crazy. Yeah. That yeah. is, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think part of the problem is, you know, when anything's mandatory, then mm -hmm. a lot of people just don't want to do it. And, yeah. and yeah. you know, in the U.S., we have the same issue with Spanish. Um, Spanish is pretty much a mandatory language. Uh, you know, at least in my state, California, it seems like everybody takes Spanish, but mm -hmm. nobody really learns it at a high level, I don't think, because, you know, it's mandatory. And mm -hmm. uh, that's actually where I think that tech can come in and we can make things that are mandatory. We can make them more engaging and more... Mm -hmm you know, e easier to get that, that push that that first start. Um, yeah. You know, people, they often think that, you know, technology is going to take away teacher jobs. But on the other hand, on the flip side, you know, technology might make it to where learners can have those first small gains. And then based on those gains, they're going to want to continue to study more. Um, a good example would be like gyms, right? So if somebody goes to a gym, and they don't see any results, uh, right off the bat, then they're probably going to quit. Mm -hmm. But if they can see that they're losing weight or they're getting stronger or their muscles are getting bigger, then they're going to want to keep going. And a lot of that is made possible by gyms being a lot more high tech, mm -hmm. right? So I think with language learning, the same could happen where if you can make it more accessible and easier to do, and especially on different devices, then that means that person is probably going to want to study the language longer mm -hmm. so the more people that study any language or any subject longer then you you could be actually helping the profession rather than hurting it with technology yeah for sure yeah 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 and i think we, uh, sorry go ahead no 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 you go go ahead i'm sorry i, I was going to say that the, the march toward technological progress is going to continue and the, you know ai is going to keep getting smarter and smarter and smarter and the companies that obviously have access to AI are, are going to wipe wipe the floor with the companies who don't have access to AI, uh, because with the company it's all about scalability. You know, can you scale your product to the to the biggest possible uh, market? You know, and AI helps with that. I think quite a lot. Um, repetitive tasks and things that humans can't um, things that only humans can do. You know, that that that's a that's a major cost to a company. If you want, if you need to employ a human being. You know, they're, they're going to want healthcare. they're going to want a pension, they're going to want, you know, benefits and parking spaces and all sorts of things. But yeah. if you have AI, if you have an AI system that can do the same thing, you know, as well or almost as well, it cuts, it cuts all that away and increases the bottom line of the company, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, that's what I, I think with, with companies. On, on an individual level, we might not see it, you know, massive, have a massive effect, although we could do. But on, on a company, on a corporate level, I think it's going to have a huge effect, yeah. Yeah, it could. I mean, definitely, I think there's going to be a lot of companies will, um, you know, maybe trim down. Uh, but, you know, throughout history, it does seem like, you know, technology tends to create more jobs. Yeah. Um, you know, if you go back to the the start of the word processor, you know, and everybody said, oh, this is going to kill writing and people are going to forget how to write. And actually, it probably made people better writers because, you know, the computer helped them write. Like they could see their spelling mistakes. It was easy to send emails. They had a reason mm -hmm. to write more. So before people just wouldn't write because it was very rare to 
sit down and write a letter. And there's been studies that have shown that actually grammar and punctuation and spelling improved with uh, with word processing because people just started writing more and they weren't mm-hmm. writing before. So I don't know, like I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to be the optimist here for mm-hmm. our, for our listeners. <laughs> I'd like to agree with you. I, I did, I did, I did read somewhere that like this time is different. Like normally technology creates jobs, but this time is different, but I'm not, I mean, that, that's probably just a, <laughs> yeah. a conflicting view. And also um, one thing I, I, I show my students is a, is a map of the U S and uh, the most common job in virtually every state in the U.S. is truck driver. <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, you know, if AI vehicles become common, the first thing they're going to do is replace truck drivers because, you know, that, that's the, the easiest thing to do because they're, they're often long, long straight roads, mm-hmm. you know, uh, inter, what do you call it, interstate travel um, would be the easiest thing to, to do with an artificial uh, driver for, from the beginning. Uh, I think in Japan it will be different, and also like think about Japan. You can just refuse to to use technology. You can just say, "Oh no, we're going to carry on doing things the way we already have." I mean, Japan has a a, a very buoyant market for the fax machine, and, and no other country really does still use the fax machine. But Japan was like, "No, we like it. We're keeping it." <laughs> you know? Yeah, and they, they just have this kind of very stubborn, obstinate kind of uh, reaction sometimes to technology. The other thing was like with Uber and uh, Airbnb. Both of them were, were decimated by the Japanese response to those companies. They just said, no, you can't do that. We, we have a taxi yeah. union. You can't, you can't have um, Uber in, in, in Tokyo. You have Uber Eats, but you don't really have Uber taxis. Um, mm-hmm. And then Airbnb, you know, I had a friend who had an Airbnb, and then, and then, and then the Japanese government was like, no, you can't do that. You have to be a, a registered uh, min, min, minshoku. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so he actually converted his, you know, house to to, to match those uh, those requirements, regulations. But a, a lot of other Airbnb people couldn't do that. Yeah. Think, well, you know, actually. Then mm, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I think I think you know sometimes comp- uh, countries like Japan is incredibly conservative and protecting existing industries that they'll just refuse to do to do things the new way if they think it's going to cause you know um, um, result in redundancies. Yeah. And I, you know, another example of that is that there are three communities that I know of that are extremely low tech, surprisingly Mm -hmm. low tech in their school systems. Mm -hmm. So both Japan and Germany really um, try to avoid using technology with students at a young age. And they Mm -hmm. try to just, you know, basically ease them into uh, text, I'm sorry, um, into tech um, gradually. So there's not a lot of, of tech with young learners in both Germany and in Japan, I've heard this about Germany. I can't confirm it, but like I know Japan for you know fact because as I live here, as mm. you do. And another surprising example is there was an article not not too long ago about the Apple, the children of Apple execs mm. in in Silicon Valley, in many mm. other startups. They send their kids to schools that are very low tech. They actually don't allow them to use tablets mm-hmm. or computers until like the fifth grade or sixth grade or something like that, because they want them to, yeah. uh, you know, just have a traditional education. And so that's, you know, obviously it's very easy yeah. for societies just to regulate it and say, Oh, you yeah. know what? You can't have computers. Mm-hmm. You can't have a car until you're, I don't know, like what, 16 or 18 or 20, depending on the country. So maybe it's going to be, well, you can't have online learning or you can't have digital learning until you're an adult. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like the drug dealer who doesn't who doesn't use his own product, you know. It's like, yeah, yeah, don't right. Get hooked, don't get hooked to your own product, and 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 they know the dangers of it because you know Apple now has this screen time 
you know, facility that, that you could limit the, the number of hours that your child, you know, spends on the device and, and it will lock lock up and prevent them from, from doing it anymore, you know. Yeah. Um, there are dangers there. And, and, and game designers do intentionally make their games addictive. Yes. You know, they, they, they have strategies and techniques for making their games more addictive. And uh, it's a double-edged blade because you want your kid, sometimes you want your kid to be, you know, uh, engaged in something. But when it comes to, you know, doing something else, you can't get it, you can't get the device away from them. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, but yeah, I think uh, balance is, is, is a key point there. Yeah. Yeah. We talk about the carbon footprint. You could see in the future a world where maybe um, you have a, you have a digital limit you know, uh-huh. where you're, you're only allowed three to four hours. Uh-huh. Um, actually, I was just talking with a teacher about this today, about, I think the new thing for call teachers for uh-huh. computer uh, assisted language learning is that we're going to look at the digital diet and, and um, keeping track of uh, monitor time, basically monitoring uh-huh. monitor time. And, you know, as educators, maybe we need to get everybody together from all, all departments and, and it doesn't matter what level of school um, and say like, okay, how many hours actually are they on a screen a mm-hmm. week? And like, what mm-hmm. is, how much time do we want them on a screen and how much do we want to go back to mm-hmm. paper stuff and, and you know, pencils and, mm-hmm. and things like that? I do think that like some of it is overstated. I mean, there, there is an argument there, but think about someone I don't know, imagine someone like Shakespeare, like how many hours a day did he spend sitting down in front of a book? You know, it must yeah. have been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours. And then there's this meme going around with like all these guys sitting, sitting, sitting on a train and they're all reading newspapers, like every single one of them. And the caption mm. is like, you know, um, a technology is making us antisocial. <laughs> you know? Right, right. We, we've always found ways to bury ourselves in something else, whether it's an iPhone or a newspaper or, or a Sudoku book or a crossword puzzle book or whatever. You know, but I think technology has a has kind of supercharged that tendency. Yeah. You know, um, and COVID as well. I, I read a report recently uh, from, from from Italy. There was an Italian student. I think she was like 14 years old. She's probably taking a leaf out of Greta Thunberg's book, you know. She yeah. she did like a little protest, and she 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 went and sat outside her school and said, "You know, we we have a right to be in school." And my reaction to that was, you know, you don't have rights in respect to COVID. I mean, you, you have rights in respect to other human beings and, mm. and in respect of government action or inaction, but COVID itself will not respect your rights. You know, the the, the disease COVID itself will not respect your rights. So it's like we have this response, like, you know, human rights to everything now, but it's like some things simply don't respect our rights as humans. No, you know that's I mean? a good way. That's a good way to put it, actually. That's yeah. that is so true. Um, so actually, so, you know, it's kind of odd as we were as we're talking about all this stuff about the the negative part of tech. Mm-hmm. Um we both are part of the problem. So we both are mm-hmm. digital creators. Yeah. <laughs> you um so what's the case like so you have this amazing website and it has all these things that you can do highly recommend it teacher Mm -hmm. teacher digital um so what's the case what's the case why teachers should use this well at the moment they have no choice you know they they have to teach uh, digitally online from a distance but even if they had a choice you know i think that there's a huge argument for using technology there there are things that you can't do without the use of technology you can't you literally cannot keep a record of this conversation we're having now without using technology mm-hmm. you know you can't keep a record of student speech without technology you cannot um 
you know, uh, easily uh, distribute things to students at a distance without technology, or even in the same classroom, you, you can go to the you can go to the photocopier. Well, I mean, a photocopier is a kind of technology, right? So if you're anti-technology, then you can't really use a photocopier, right? <laughs> so, yeah, so it's true. A, yeah. So I think it's 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 convenience, it's uh, ability to edit things and change things and distribute things incredibly easily. Um, but then the problem with that is that you get privacy concerns. It's like the easier it is to distribute something, the harder it is to make it um, private. True. You know? So true. So that's a balance, a difficult balance to make. Um, so you know, for teacher tools, we have we have eight assignment types that cover all four skills of listening, reading, writing, and speaking. It gives it gives the teacher a lot of freedom to use any of their existing materials. So you, you probably have teachers probably have you know five or ten years of materials that they've built up over time. They don't want to go and start making things from scratch. Um, our platform allows them to just copy and paste the text, for example, and then it would create a listening activity using text to speech. Uh, it would create a speaking activity using speech to text. It would create uh, a grammar activity, a vocabulary activity, all of that. And it doesn't take much time at all, like less than a minute or so to do that. And this product is freemium? This is freemium, so you get you get one month free trial, and then it's uh, nine ninety nine a month or or ninety nine dollars a year, which we think is very very reasonable. We we actually did market research on this, and we kind of you know, the, the the average price for that kind of service is actually actually higher than what we're, what we're charging. So yeah, mm -hmm. we think yeah. it's uh, reasonable, and a lot of that a lot of work has gone into it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like definitely thousands of, thousands of hours of, of work uh, from from real teachers. I mean, I, I've I've taught in universities for ten over ten years. You know, the guys I work with are teachers or they, they have teaching experience. So, you know, this isn't, um, you know, some of the, some LMSs out there look like they've been designed by people who've never set foot in a classroom mm -hmm. or they've never taught, you know, a, a class of students. And it just doesn't make sense. But our platform, you know, is designed by teachers. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Paul, thank you so much for your time today. It was really nice talking to you. And again, uh, you, uh, Paul is the author of Developing Web-Based English Learning Applications, yep. Principles and Practice in the Call EJ Journal, episode yep. 19. And thank you so much for coming on and uh, good luck with everything in the future. Thanks for having me, Todd. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. If you'd like to contact the show, the best place to find out about us is our website, lostincitations.com. Here you can learn more about the background to this project and how you can get involved. Our hope is to help academics, educators, and online content producers get in contact with each other. Our email address is lostincitations at gmail.com. We also have Facebook and LinkedIn pages. Please rate and comment on the sites you use to download your podcasts. It helps us reach more potential listeners. But probably the most helpful thing you can do is, if you like our content, recommend it to a friend, and let them know what we're trying to do. Thank you very much.